Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and you've guessed it, this is where we talk about money. And it is my mission to empower you, to help you make the best financial decisions possible. Why? Because money is a tool, life is for living. Let's go. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversation of Money podcast. I'll tell you what, guys, um, if you've enjoyed the the sun last weekend, this episode hopefully brings sun to the beginning of your week this week because I am extremely excited to be recording this episode today Um, because it's going to speak to something that I'm quite passionate about, which is empowerment, which is ensuring that people have the tools to be able to live the life that they want. My slogan is money is a tool, life is for living. I think alongside money, there are a ton of other things that you need to have in your toolbox to ensure that you're able to live the life that you want. And my guest today is probably the queen in terms of trying to actually build a community and actually impact on a social uh, basis. And I'm really, really, really excited to have her on. She's actually joining us from New York across the pond. Her name is Tiana Kara. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. What's going on? I'm good. I'm good. How are you over there? I'm I'm hanging in. The weather has gotten so much better over here. We had some terrible um, snowstorms earlier, but now spring seems like it's actually approaching. Any light I can get during this pandemic, I'll take. So I'm doing well. It's amazing, actually, because like I've come to the States a few times and it feels like in New York, you kind of get all seasons all the year mm-hmm. round and you mm-hmm. kind of get them like over here. We're known for like rain. Like, if you come over here, it's gray skies, it's rain. We might have a little bit of snow in the winter, but things have shifted. It's very, very, it rains a lot. Then we might have a good summer. I mean, a good summer for us, it's having like 20 degrees um, heat. (laughs) Whereas you guys kind of get the extreme out in the States. You've got all four seasons in pretty much the state, haven't you? Big time. Absolutely. And I, I'm from the, originally from the Bay Area, so I'm used to basically it being 65 or to 70 all the time year round. But coming to New York, yeah, you you get hit pretty hard with those cold winters. But I'm telling you, New York summers, nothing like it. The city lights up. So this spring is like really getting me geared up for it. I'm ready. Yeah. I've only been to New York once. I've been to New York on... Um, we came over to uh, LA to start off with, then Vegas for a, for a stag do, because uh, one of my friends was getting married. And awesome. we did New York for, I think it was a day or two on the way back home. Um, I was actually supposed to go to Maryland because I've got a family in Washington, DC. And um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a very quick 24, <laughs> 48 hours, but we walked so much of New York. It was so sick. It was it was a really, really good. And it's amazing because New York is actually quite big because it's on a grid. You don't realize how far you walk because you're really? walking blocks. And it's, by the time we realized, it was like, Mike, we've walked like 20 blocks. It's like, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, you can put some work on your shins for sure and not even know it. Um, yeah, you definitely need some good walking shoes around this spot, but that's a beauty. Not, you know, being able to hop on the subway or being able to walk wherever you want to go versus being, you know, dependent upon a car. Um, and you definitely need to come back to New York City because 48 hours is not giving it enough of what it really deserves. At least a week, man. Come back. Yeah, we we did the whole whistle top store, Empire State Building and Times yeah. Square and and all that kind of jazz, but we didn't, yeah, we didn't really get to do a lot because we had to catch a a flight back home. So yeah, yeah, we need to come out more. So I'm really excited to have you on. Polina is the one who suggested you as a fantastic guest. Um, 
And we've just had Women's History Month. So to start off, can you give a brief introduction to you, what you do? Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that you have been doing, which I feel is really important. So happy to share a little bit about me and what uh, I've been working on um, originally from the Bay Area and have been absolutely obsessed with the world of uh, media and marketing. And after a little stint, I realized that it was important for me to kind of pause and assess what it is that I was like naturally gravitating towards, like what I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm. And over time, I was just recognizing that I had a huge passion for supporting women and supporting people of color. It just mm-hmm. like, out, like just automatically just started pouring out of me or it actually I started fo- following this natural compass. Like anytime there was an event, anytime someone was working on a project, I would just naturally start gravitating to that work. And so I tried to find a way to carve out, um, you know, or at least allow my skills to then lead to a job that was in, you know, somewhere within the world of like social impact. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up over time going from Black Girls Code and doing some work for that awesome organization to then working for Built by Girls. And it has been an absolute ride that I have enjoyed thoroughly these past four years. Um, as the executive director, I am supporting this organization as we're geared to um, support young women and non-binary students as they're stepping into their first internship or job. And again, totally align with what, um, I'm uniquely individually passionate about because that's exactly what I needed when I was younger. I needed somebody to give me a little bit of guidance on, on what kind of world I was about to step into Mm -hmm. and what kind of workforce really existed out there in the space. Um, and so I'm glad to be able to do that work every day. So, it's interesting because I've had a look at, you know, Built by Girls, and you had quite a, a few articles written about you and the work that you've essentially done there. How did it all actually just come about, though? I know that obviously you've gravitated towards a lot of it, but how did you get to the point where you're actually the lead for that specific kind of like brand doing the work that you do now? Oh, man, great question. I, all right, I'm going to get deep. I hope you're ready. So, yeah, go, go for it. <laughs> So um, almost throughout my entire career, I've always aspired to be in some form of leadership position, always. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because, oh, I just want to be in control or um, I want to tell people what to do. Um, I have always uh, gravitated towards supporting people um, and, and being almost like a captain. Even when I played college basketball. I wanted, I became the captain. It was just, I want to make sure that everybody is well taken care of. We're all on this journey together. We can move forward. And so it's Mm -hmm. always something I wanted to do in any communal setting, work included. Mm -hmm. And so my entire career, I've wanted to be in a leadership role, but I kept running into like blockers constantly. Mm -hmm. This ladder towards what my career should be constantly had broken rungs that I would be trying to glue together, try to, you know, um, kind of fuse together a little bit so that I can keep making my way up. And I constantly got blocked no matter how much training I took, no matter how much feedback I got from reviews and then, you know, made sure that I improved upon constantly got blocked. And so when I made my way over to built by girls, it was the first time that the person that was my manager was a woman of color. And it was the first time that I could actually see a gradual step towards like leadership. 
she would give me opportunities to really show myself, to prove my abilities. And not just from a, can you get the team, band the group all together and make them feel great and confident? No, no, that's one element that's necessary. But what she allowed for me to do was to really show my, my skills in terms of like strategy, developing a vision, um, uh, working cross-functionally and ensuring that all parties are really able to bring something to the table, almost like a conductor of a symphony. How can I make mm. sure that everyone is really showcasing their talents and, and bringing something incredible to the table? And so her she'll, being able to give me that space to do that, to prove myself, then helped me land into this leadership role. I didn't recognize what she was doing until I got to the role that, you know, until I actually got to the position. I didn't recognize how much that was lacking and how much I didn't have that ability early on at other jobs, at other gigs. I worked for a massive retailer. Um, prior to that, I was on the agency side, working for some of the top agencies in, um, in the Bay Area. Never got that opportunity, never got a, ch a chance to shine. And then, you know, over time, kept reading articles from McKenzie and Lean In and all these studies are and, and, and Harvard Business Review. And they're doing so many studies about how much black women in particular aspire to be in leadership roles. However, they're not given the opportunity to do so. They're they're experiencing so many biases that it's just, you know, they're they're being taxed, overworked, stressed out. Mm. Because they're making, you know, they're trying so hard to reach these positions of, of leadership or power, even have some exposure. 41% of Black women in the United States said in 2020 that they had never even had any form of contact with a person in a senior leadership role, like a C in a C-suite. Wow. 41% of Black women. And so all of this was sadly validating. Oh, okay, this, is, this, is, this isn't just happening to me. I am not just, Alone know, in it. Alone in it. Yeah. It's not like I'm not just fit to be in a leadership role. No, this is unfortunately happening to a whole bunch of people who look just like me, who fill the same identity groups that I do, have the same hyphens that I do. And so, yeah, it took a, a bit for me to get to a leadership role, but thankfully I had someone who was in my corner. And me calling out she was a woman and calling out she was a person of color is just a fact. Um, but um, her giving me the opportunity to shine is what what I know allowed for me to, to, to step into this role. So that's how I became the executive director. You know what? It's interesting what you've just described there because when I look back over my experience and working through corporate, cor the cor corporate world, I can pinpoint little things that you've said that I've also come across. And the one thing that I think it definitely speaks to is representation. Mm -hmm. Re when, when people say representation matters, it really, really does matter. It really, really does matter. And I'll give this example, and it may sound like a really stupid example, but you know, I was born in 1979 here in the UK. I was fostered from three months to seven years old. I grew up in a predominantly white uh, neighborhood, went to a white school. I was the only black kid in my school, literally. So back then, and you know, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, growing up, watching Disney um, sort of like cartoons and stuff like that, you never really kind of like, as a kid, did I notice it? I don't think I did. Maybe subconsciously I noticed that actually, yep. well, none of the characters look like me. And it's really bizarre because as, a, as an adult, when Black Panther came out, it was strange. And I, I'm like, I'm 41. So Black Panther came out, what, three, four years ago? Yeah, about right three. from late 30s, right? Just seeing... 
Chadwick Boseman as a Black Panther was like, I sat there and I'm thinking, I've never seen a Black superhero before. And representation matters because if you can't see it, you, you just don't believe that you can be it. So representation really, really matters. Mm-hmm. I know that's a lot of the work that you're doing right now with, you know, um, Built by Girls is you talk a lot about the networking side of things and how you try to ensure that they get the right networks early on so it helps them progress from a career point of view, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are three major ways that we um, ensure that students get what they need to, to step boldly into their first career. Um, the first, we give them a whole bunch of resources around like the realities of what the workplace looks like. We then also um, like have events so they feel like they have some form of community and, and connected community. But we, what we really, really overemphasize on is the significance of networking, just as you said. It is beyond critical. And what's what's pretty, you know, obvious is a lot of the times when you're a working professional, a lot of people talk about the significance of networking. Networking is key. Networking is important. Mm -hmm. But not many people talk to you about it early and not many people tell you actually how it's done. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it was like, we have to demystify this. We have to put a real face to networking. Um, Some folks think you get on LinkedIn and just hit like, you know, (laughs) connect, 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 connect. connect. Hey, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) And it's also incredibly frustrating for, let's say, if there's a senior person that you're trying to connect to. You're not the only person that's just, you know, cold, cold calling style connecting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not building a relationship. So we, through our program, we have a platform called Wave. And Wave is a one-to-one matching program where we use an algorithm to uh, assess certain key, key like words that are used constantly when you register. Let's say mm-hmm. through my registration, I'm talking to you about how much I care about climate change. Mm-hmm. I'm mentioning it quite a bit. If, I'm, if there's a student who's doing the same, which it's 2020, there are tons of Gen Z, Gen Z students yep. who care about climate change. Yep. Um, then it's going to match us along with a whole bunch of other things. And then we meet once, once a month for one hour over a three month period of time. So these students that we, we care about and we support are 15 to 22 years old. And the professionals, all identity groups, all gender identities, and they're working, you know, small startups, giants like Amazon, some are co-founders, some are food scientists, some are front-end engineers, some are financial leads. Um, them connecting with, if I'm 15 years old and I'm connecting with someone who's working at, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. the company. That is huge because as that person continues on through their career and I'm still connected to them, they're going to continue expanding on their network. Mm-hmm. Thus, by you know, secondhand, I'm connecting as well. I'm being connected as well. I'm being ushered into this industry, you know, versus me having to cold go in right out of college and hope for the best. Hope mm-hmm. that, um, you know, some of the major sites over here in the States are Glassdoor and Indeed. Yeah. Hoping that I can find an opportunity through those platforms versus I've had this connection since I was 17 or 18 years old. And I've mentioned to them my interest in, you know, learning how to be a writer or learning how to be a front end engineer or learning how to be a marketer. And so they've constantly connected me to people within their network to help me learn more about what's required to have this type of job. Um, the type of person who really thrives in these types of environments. So it's just from, for us, like networking is that ticket to exposure. You know what I mean? Like when you were young, when you were, you were talking about like your experience and growing up and, and you not seeing anybody who looks like you, like 
that's one element, right? It is really key to at least see something, even if you're just con- you're con- you're not connected to it. a cartoon. Mm-hmm. I'm not yep. a cartoon. I'm not an animated character, but at least me seeing this makes me helps me to to see myself in this world beyond just my small environment. Yeah. Now, if I'm connected to someone who doesn't look like me, it's it's still a solid resource. It's still a way for me to at least have a sponsor that plants me in certain environments and places. Even when I don't see myself there, I'll still feel welcome to certain, mm-hmm. to some degree. So yeah, networking for us is just this insane power that we realize exists. And we want to ensure that, you know, we give them conversation guides and things like that to ensure that they know how to solidly build relationships um, to keep up with people like to, to do check-ins via email, let them know about the status of, Oh, school's going really well. Or I've st- you know, I'm actually interested in this kind of internship. If you happen to know somebody, please put me on, like, let me know or connect me. Would you like to schedule a coffee date? I'd love to connect and keep up with you. Mm-hmm. Those types of things. We'll give like a lot of advice around that. That was going to be my next question actually, because yeah. they say your network is your net worth. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's the, that's the popular saying. And because you're working with such young people, I was interested to hear how you actually give them the the confidence to actually make those approaches and have those conversations. Because for a 15 year old, it's 15 years can be quite timid, quite shy and intimidated mm-hmm. often by uh, an older person who appears to be working and doing something that at the moment they probably don't really understand, but maybe aspiring to those tools to help them have that, those kind of approaches to make those approaches, to have those kind of conversations are really, really important to give them that confidence. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, what I love is it's a bit of a misconception that most, you know, all these 15 year olds are introverted and a little nervous about having, you know, conversations. Um, I'm finding that a few of them are, but not many. I'd say it's a probably, you know, you probably, let's always consider it's an even 50-50. You may or you may not. But it's, they're very, very vocal. They're very passionate. They know um, to some degree what they want or what they're interested in. That's what I'm noticing about members in our community. But for those who are introverted, we definitely give them some some pointers on how to just kind of have those initial first-time conversations. And from there, I feel like they're definitely able to take off and to shine on their own. Uh, even for those who are extroverts or even ambiverts right there in the middle, mm-hmm. we still give them guidance as well because they have a habit of just kind of rambling, not really getting to the point, <laughs> yeah. um, talking about a whole bunch of other things that may not necessarily necessarily be relevant not uh-huh. really being mindful of time uh-huh. the big one too um we talked to them a lot about an elevator pitch yep how can you put together a solid you know elevator pitch quick enough for you to be able to have a, a quick conversation to really share with people almost a bit of who you are a bit of what you're passionate about and a bit of what you want mm-hmm. always leaving you know leaving with a you know I, I this is what i'm looking for this is where mm-hmm. i think you could be a solid connection how can we, you know, meet up to discuss this further? And so when we're able to kind of help them land that, um, that has often been the, the, the gateway for them to really be able to network successfully, um, to ensure the person that they're talking to is the right person. Um, something that I love too is helping them not sound so much so robotic when they're uh-huh. in the elevator pitch. Yeah. Like you don't want to sound salesy, but you, yeah. but you do want to be almost like an expert, a sales yeah. expert. Um, so yeah, those are some some areas that we we help them out for sure. And do you feel, so you probably have like case studies and stuff like that. 
do you do you have a, a good case study or an example of how these tools have actually helped um, sort of any particular people or, or groups within within the, the cohorts that you work with from a tangible point of view from a, you know a most recent story perhaps? Absolutely. My last advisee, that's what we call our um, students in the WAVE program, advisees versus like mentees. Mm-hmm. Um, my last advisee, this uh, fantastic and vibrant young woman from Kenya, she was going to NYU and she connected with me. She had an interest in diversity, equity, inclusion, and uh, wanted to go on and, and pers- try to pursue some type of career there, but had no connections. And so I have a lot of folks that I know in the DEI space. And I told her, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to make some connections for you, but what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to do a test run. I want you to pretend like um, I've made, you know, another Tiana made a connection for you to me. Mm-hmm how would you go about this introduction? Mm-hmm. And I, I made her go across the room from me and respond to an email that I CC, like I even connected myself to my personal email from my uh-huh. working, acting as if I'm another person. I made her practice the response. And it was rough. It was very rough. <laughs> there was like, you know, wasn't even a hi, how you doing? At bare minimum, ask me how I'm doing. Uh-huh. I'm a stranger. She didn't ask me how I was doing. She didn't... um Uh, She wrote this long, drawn-out story about herself and I think maybe a little line about what her ask was at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. And and the ask was kind of like, so if you're interested in talking, that would be great. Very kind of passive. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then, so we worked on that. We, like, sharpened what what that kind of email was supposed to look like, helped her build a bit of a template on what that's supposed to look like. All right, we're getting better there. Then we did a test run. I had her connect with a friend of mine, not a work colleague or, or someone in, with a, in a professional setting that could be a support. I had her do a practice intro coffee meet with a friend of mine while I was away and like on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. And then she practiced that. The first round was a little rough. She didn't make eye contact. She didn't, uh, she didn't do her elevator pitch that, you know, that we practiced. She was very, very shy. She mm-hmm. didn't, she didn't even like, have an ask at the end of the day. And so we worked and, and sharpened that. And so once she felt comfortable, then I made an introduction to her to a global VP uh, who heads up diversity, equity, inclusion for a massive telecom company. And so I scheduled that that email with her, uh, that scheduled the email connection and then told her at the end, make sure you ask him for a coffee meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just being BCC'd on that email and trusting her to really be able to like take off and do it. She was incredible. She was very to the point, obviously asked that man how he was doing this time. Uh-huh. So very, much on <laughs> very to the point, um, um, bold in saying what she had already accomplished and what she was, you know, what she was capable of doing, what she aspired to do. And then when they, uh, he immediately responded back and this was not with any coaching or like prompts from me on, on, you know, f- for her or to my, my point of co- my contact. He said, absolutely, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to be a support. Let's schedule a coffee meeting, connect with my EA, my executive assistant, and we'll put something on the calendar. Wow. She was she was floored. And when the coffee meeting happened, she was she was better prepared. She was, you know, mindful of the time, even said that I realize we have 10 minutes left, so I want to be respectful and blah blah. She just was, she had never gotten any coaching on how to do something that is really a practical thing, right? It's yeah, a practical yeah. skill. Yeah. There's not like workshops on how to write an email and, you know, speak across the table from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but but thankfully with me actively engaged in coaching her, which a lot of our advisors do, that just helped really send her on our way. She's already in graduate school at Harvard now, wow. crushing it. That's amazing. I mean, I think you, you're right because a lot of the lot of the practical stuff we don't get taught. And we're expected to kind of just know it or pick it up as we go through life. And this really does segue us very, very nicely into the stuff that I'm really, really passionate about around financial education and money. And the fact that we don't get taught this stuff in school, I mean, certainly not in the UK. And I know that they're, they're, it's almost the same over in the States. I've got Tyrone, who is, um, he's got a project called Learn to Money. And um, <laughs> that project is absolutely amazing. Like, as a dude, he is fire. Like I look up to him and he's the same age as me. Nice. Our, our journey through financial services is relatively the same, but he is passionate about financial education and ensuring that people understand the language of money. And that kind of leads me on to kind of like asking you what your experience of financial education was growing up. Did you get it at home? What was, how, how did you come across financial education in your journey so far? Oh man, sadly, I didn't have, I wasn't properly educated on finance until I was in my twenties. Um, prior to, I was just watching the behaviors of the adults in my family. I was, I was mostly raised by my mother and my grandmother and, and watching them make what I realize now was horrible decisions with money, not, not really being mindful of like the significance of savings, mm -hmm. um, never teaching me about the importance of savings at all. I didn't, we never even sat down to have any real money conversations. That's, that never happened. Not my, even my father, when, when we would connect, um, yeah, I, I didn't have proper, proper education there. And, and I, I would, you know, make up the excuse and say, oh, it was because we just didn't have much you know, my mother was um, a social worker. My grandmother, um, was oddly enough, worked for the FBI, but she was like an, she, was <laughs> she worked the, the phones uh -huh. at, at, the, at the local um, FBI um, headquarters. And so she, she, yeah, neither of them had much money, but they also didn't even teach me with what they had, how to be smart about it. And so what I started to do was like acquire a lot of money baggage. Mm -hmm. A lot of money baggage. You know, people yep. talk a lot about mental baggage. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a lot of money baggage. What, what, um, what I thought should be done with the paycheck that I got, you know, versus what I know now should be done with it, uh -huh. you know, carving out the, you know, money, some savings, putting a little something away for a rainy day, potentially putting money into an investment, you know, investing in something if you have the, the, the dollars to do so. Um, and I, I didn't think of that. I just thought, you know, or I need to put a little bit away, but how much never knew I was just uh -huh. making numbers up. And, um, and then the rest, like it's my, it's my little measly paycheck. I'm in my early twenties. Like, let's go. Let me spend it however I want. And then my now husband was, um, one day I was confident enough to actually show him my, like, my take home uh -huh. and what I'd been spending on and really allowed him behind the curtain to see what I'd been doing. And I remember his jaw dropping, just being, just looking at me like, what, what are you doing? Why are you living life as if you're a millionaire, sis? You're making very little money and you're out here, you know, spending money, um, ordering out, eating out, going for drinks, going on vacations. 
And then your bank account is like in the like low hundreds and you're thinking that that's okay. And I was like, what's the problem? I don't understand. Like, it's not a zero. It's uh-huh. not a negative. So mm-hmm. I'm falling out of control. I don't get it. <laughs> he's telling yeah. me, like, no, you're absolutely not. And so just was part of my baggage was just my mother and my grandmother didn't allow me visibility into what they were making. So I didn't allow other people visibility into what I was making or how I was spending my money. I was very precious about it. Yeah. And because I was so precious, it then made it where it took years for me to understand the poor decisions that I was making before. Um, years for me to understand the significance of investing and the importance of a 401k and all of that stuff. Because I was living life in the now and I definitely wasn't allowing anyone to, to, to see what was going on behind the curtain. It's interesting you talk about money baggage because much like you, we've never had a conversation about money or of money in my household ever. <laughs> like the only time that when money would come up, it would be out of like panic and desperation. Like we don't have any. We need, to, we need to get food. Like we need to borrow money from somewhere or it was always an environment of scarcity. And I remember because I went back to Nigeria when I was seven to 17, just turning 18 they sent me back with like 50 pounds in my pocket. And it was the first time that I was ever allowed to have cash money in my mm-hmm. own hands. But with 50 pounds, 50 pounds, it doesn't go, it doesn't go far at all. So when I landed back here in the UK, I went back to my foster parents' house. Thankfully they lived at the same address. And I remember the first thing that I did when I, when I landed, I went and bought some chocolate bars and just went nuts. I blew, I blew like I blew like 10 pounds a fifth of that money on just chocolate bars didn't really understand that dude like that 50 pounds are gonna last you you've got to you've got to stretch that until you get a job and it has to cover you know some basic things for you I didn't I didn't understand it I wasn't I wasn't aware I was just like I'm hungry what do I want to eat I want some chocolate bars go and spend 10 pounds on chocolate bars and back then that's a lot of money to spend on chocolate bars mm-hmm. but it's that's money baggage it's money baggage it's it's stuff that stems from childhood there's a, a study here in the UK that that basically said that you know we form our financial habits at age of 7 as young as the age of 7 and that in itself is wow. is amazing because you don't know you're picking up these things but subconsciously the habits are are forming very, very slowly. And if you don't get any educational um, exposure to these kind of conversations later on, you get into adulthood and it can be really, really problematic. Absolutely. That I'm still, I'm trying to pick up my job thinking about seven, like that, that, that starts to impact you at seven years old. My goodness. Cause I wouldn't even think to have a conversation with my child about money until maybe they are, like in the double digits, 10, mm-hmm. 11, you know, yep. not seven. So that, that's really, really, that's really impactful. And, and I think your story around like, you know, ha- having money in your hands for the first time and then going and spending it frivolously, frivolously, like just not even thinking like, oh, first thing, this is dope. I want that. Let's go mm-hmm. for it with no control. Like that's exactly how I was in my twenties. And when I think of, when I think of money baggage, what I actually think of is, well, actually, kind of on the reverse, like when I think about kind of trying to unpack that now in this stage of my life, it required me to ask like some really deep questions of myself. Mm. You know, it required me to ask myself, like, what makes me happy? Money makes me happy when 
what? Fill in the blank. Yeah. Money money makes me anxious when, you know, fill in the blank. As a kid, my family taught me about money this way. Now that I'm older, I see money how? Like it made me kind of sit and ask these questions so I can, which I never, never, I never did because I had the same kind of mindset that you mentioned. Money in my household was discussed it was, it was discussed when there was this scarcity. My mom, I'd ask her, can we go get some McDonald's? And she'd be like, I don't have McDonald's money. Mm-hmm. We're going to go home and I'm going to make you a greasy burger versus you going in and getting one at the store. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it, so now it's, it's like, okay, I'm trying to think about how I, I evaluated it as a child, which I, I never did until we really this discussion, um, how I saw it as a child, but then now as an adult, how I'm making better decisions that, you know, eight-year-old, 21-year-old Tiana would, you know, making better decisions than that younger me would have made. Yeah. I've got to ask you two questions, actually. First, first, what was the most ridiculous thing you bought that you look back now and you're like, what on earth (laughs) was I thinking? I have a few, but I'd love to hear what yours was. Man, I'm trying to narrow it down. (laughs) 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 I didn't narrow it down. Oh my goodness. Two things I can think of. Um, one was a group of my friends wa- wanted to go to Hawaii and I had never been, and I, I really, really wanted to go. And I was making very, very little money, but I spent everything that I had in my bank account to, for on a trip to Hawaii. Um, but then when I got there, I couldn't afford not one thing. You hear me? <laughs> Nothing. Uh-huh. I was like, are these chips free? That's what's up. I'm going to have these Hawaiian chips and call it an experience. Like I, I, I was so broke. So that was one. And then the second was getting an apartment that I absolutely could not afford. Mm. I looked at my, my kind of bi-monthly take home and was like, okay, that can be how much I like, again, not really thinking, not budgeting, not having any conversations with anyone intelligent. Okay. This is how much one of one of my paychecks is. I can spend almost that entire paycheck on rent. That's fine. And then the, the, the next little paycheck that I get, that's where, you know, I can, uh, pay for other utilities going out, things like that, but I can spend this entire. So I was just like, just so, so broke in that apartment. So alone, um, friends wanting to go out and do things. Couldn't, couldn't do it. Was begging them to get some, um, $2 wine and come over to my apartment so we can enjoy mm-hmm. it and watch the blank television that I had. Cause I couldn't afford cable. Just a really, really idiotic decision. I think in my, in my opinion to, to get that apartment. So yeah, that, that vacation, that apartment for sure. That's interesting. And maybe one more question before we get onto the second question I was going to ask you when you were looking at that apartment at the time, do you remember what your mindset was around, oh my God, this apartment is the one. I don't want the other one that's a little bit cheaper. I've got to have this one right here. Do you remember what the mindset was? Absolutely. My mindset at the time was where I was before, I hated it. Mm-hmm. My apartment before, I absolutely dreaded it. I um, dreaded going there. Um, it was too small. I didn't have enough closet space, yada, yada, yada. Here's all the things that I was complaining about. And so when there was an opportunity to be able to move, or I, I, you know, I kind of got fed up. I was like, I, I'm going to move. Mm-hmm. And so in, in finding this apartment and then think and making that, you know, quick calculation in my mind around 
my uneducated mind around what I, you know, could afford. I just felt freedom. I felt I didn't feel boxed in. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel annoyed anymore. Um, like, you know, when I was in there kind of looking at the apartment for the first time with the realtor, ah, this is what like comfort and, re- and my shoulders being relaxed and down will feel mm-hmm. like. Not realizing that they would be even more tense. The freight price was much heavier than the price of whatever happiness I would get because I got a bigger closet Mm -hmm. or I was closer to like the hot spots where all my friends were hanging out. Um, that, that, that's what was going through my mind, a false sense of freedom. Mm. That's interesting actually, because yeah, I think a lot of times when we make decisions for things like that, and it reminds me of my friend, Mike, um, he, he got an apartment that he absolutely could not afford at one point, And he was broke. Like he couldn't do anything. I think after he paid all his, all of his rent and all of his bills, he had something like 80 pounds for the month, which is like 20 pounds a week. And it's like, he was eating baked beans and just bored pasta and tomato sauce. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty uh-huh. at all. And it reminds me of that, but his, his, I think knowing, knowing him, and knowing when he went and got that apartment, he was about, yo, it's my own space. It's my own freedom. So I can do whatever I want, not really thinking about the practicalities. And I think it's, it's a very easy cycle for, for people to fall into because we see this nice, shiny thing. We get to associate it with what we think it's going to be like in utopia. But oftentimes we get there, the reality is not exactly the same as what we hoped it would be because then you have the financial burden that comes along with it as well you're absolutely right you're absolutely right like what i was mentioning earlier around like that baggage if i don't sit there and have a conversation with myself as to why i overspend or why i thought it was a good investment at the time then i'm if i don't assess like why i thought that was a good idea and and why i was doing it then i won't stop potentially overspending Mm -hmm. or I won't, I will remain in debt. I'll keep making the same mistake. So yeah, that's, that's definitely what I picked up when you're mentioning your friend's story. I cannot imagine like 80 pounds for the month. Yeah. That's not, that's not, if you can, if you have any control over that, which we do to some degree, why put yourself through that kind of misery? That's, That's just too tight. Absolutely. And this leads me to the second question. It's kind of doubling back on something you mentioned before, because I'm interested to see how you felt when you finally did this. You mentioned that you finally had the courage to kind of let your husband now know, like, this is how much I make and let him behind the curtain. What was that actually like arriving to the point where you felt that you had enough courage or felt comfortable Mm. enough to say, look, oh, this is what I earn. This is what I'm doing. Was it a tough thing because I'd imagine it's it's very very tough for people to talk about money that's why I call my channels conversation of money so people know that we're going to be talking about money how difficult was it for you it was brutal brutal I had so much pride in in being wrong <laughs> so much pride <laughs> in yeah. making poor decisions it was my money and I could do what I want with it uh-huh. and you know yada 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 independent independent fool That's what I was. Um, Like just, I I had so much pride. And when I finally 
I, I really think he broke me down. I don't think it was like, all right, I think it's time that I start making smarter decisions with my money. Mm-hmm. Husband, here, look inside, you know, look, in, look, in, look behind the curtain. No, he was just like, something's not right, and I, I'm not feeling very confident about X, Y, Z, and you seem a little stressed about this, this, this. I think you should just let me like look at your bank account and look at your debt. And all through all my pride and all that stuff through it and with his consistent pushing, like I finally did it. So my, my, my feeling at the time was just very, ooh, the, the whole conversation was contentious. Mm. It was just terrible. And then when he really started to, all the skeletons were just mm-hmm. pouring out all of my business, all of the dirty laundry was out for everyone to see or for him to see. It made me, as I mentioned, unpack a lot of the things that that I was doing wrong and take heed to someone, you know, or I was I was force fed advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could say anything to any of your listeners or any listeners who potentially will be passing this episode on to someone who may be struggling, like you, the last thing you want to do is be force fed. I'd rather feed myself the medicine uh-huh. than someone pinching my nose, making me open my mouth and for- forcing me to take the, the medicine. And that's, that's what, what I unfortunately had to, had to experience in order to make that change. But ugh, it, it was it was contentious, I guess, to answer your question. It was really tough. So is I guess he's quite financially savvy, astute himself, right? So I hate that I'm aligning with that unfortunate stereotype, uh, <laughs> you know, that uh, a man had to come in and give me the advice to make better money decisions. But that that's uh, that's my story. Yes. Well, it's, in, it's interesting that you say that, though, because and one of the reasons why, you know, um, I want to get more female voices on the podcast and Polina has been on a number of times and she's brilliant, by the way. And yeah. uh, you know her as well, is that I think now. So if you look at traditionally, men have always been the breadwinners, the ones mm-hmm. who hold the purse strings and all this kind of stuff. They're the ones who have always taken the lead in investing and, and building really sizable pension pots, 401ks, RIs for you guys there. Um, but women are now realizing, hang on a second, no, 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 no. I'm earning good money now. I need to make sure that I'm secure in my future. And there is an active interest in ensuring that, number one, and this is the thing that I noticed, right? So I do coaching. Most of my clients are women. Majority of my clients are women. And they are just like, listen, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. I, I don't understand that. They're more open to asking for help. Whereas guys are a bit like, mm, dude, I, I'm a guy. I don't need no help. I can do this by myself. I'm cool. And then they, they get it horribly wrong. And then the, the pride kicks in and it's like, dude, you should have done this earlier. And it's like, yeah, no, no. But so women are, are now at the forefront, really leading the way on, you know, investing and learning how to invest, being involved in, you know, startups, angel investing. So there is a massive movement here in the UK around that. And I'm sure it'll be the same in the States as well. And I'm interested to know, as you kind of got better and worked through your career, what were some of the fundamental lessons or changes that you ended up incorporating into your finance that got you to this point right now? Oh man, that's a great question. I I know I'm going to struggle with that answer. What are sorry? Ask it. Ask it one more time. So what are the key lessons that you've learned, or maybe things that you've incorporated into your finances at this point? So, and it's simply just the, and this is going to sound so basic, uh, but just simply budgeting, 
Mm. Budgeting. It's it's so it sounds so basic. Like I'm, I'm sadly can't give you some incredible story about how I'm I'm you know leveraging platforms like Elevest or you know and in you know making investments and things like that. I am having conversations with folks who are you know small business owners and and need help in investing in you know small wine shops or awesome little. Um, sports bars and things like that. I am having like conversations looking over people's business, um, uh, plans and I'm like having, you know, early conversations there, even in a point where I'm stable enough to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. But I think the most monumental thing that I am actively doing on my own and being responsible for is making sure that I budget. And, and, and it's not something that you just kind of do once and then you just keep keep working with it's something that you have to continue to do as your salary increases and as you reach new phases and stages in your life uh when i got married i had to make i made sure i need to have put a budget in place um i recently had a kid he's six months old so when we're thinking about his future or bare minimum the present like me needing someone to help to take care of him mm-hmm. having um support in childcare is expensive so I need to go back to that budget, factor that in and assess what needs to, what I, where I need to pull back in, in terms of like my frivolous spending and like my, um, you know, I call it my go get it, like go mm-hmm. get it, um, yeah, my yeah. pocket of money. Yeah. Where does that need to come down so that I can make sure that I can afford, um, something as simple as, as childcare. So budgeting and, and that being naturally a part of what I do whenever I'm in a new stage of my life or a new phase in my life, that I think has been huge. And you know what? It's amazing to hear you say that because you think it's such a small thing, but it's the foundation to everything. Is that the it fundamentals is, like in basketball? It, fundamental. it is the fundamental. It is the, it is the foundation to everything. You can't pay down debt. You can't invest. You can't save. You can't do anything if you cannot budget accordingly. It's simply, it's that simple. And that was one of the biggest revelations that I made. And that was kind of the starting point to me being better with money. Cause I used to bounce checks and, oh my God, um, spend a thousand pounds on a pair of trainers and just do ridiculous things because ah, I've got the cash to do it. I like that. I'm an impulsive spender. I know that. So that's part of my personality. I've learned how to rein that in across the years, but understanding hold on, that hold on peter quick question because otherwise it's gonna burn inside of me sure. what's a trainer uh Is sneakers. It sneakers 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 yeah sneakers oh, nice. so i bought i bought a thousand pound <laughs> pair of giuseppe's like high Yo. tops and it's like the thing the sad thing is though tiara right they look beautiful i've worn <laughs> them i've had them for maybe five years i've worn them maybe eight times they're still in the box upstairs but you know when you buy something right and it's like you look at it now and it's like, that's so 2005. That's what they're like. They're, they are so the year that I bought them. <laughs> Even now, it's not like it's not timeless fashion. It's that not. Sucks. It's like, it's so 2005. It's, it's like, why did you, why? Like, why? But that was the mindset back then. It just, yeah. and, you know, understanding that, you know, budgeting is a tool to kind of help you send your money where you want it to go. Like not where it needs to go, but where you want it to go. And that's really important. It's fundamental. That's so, that's a lovely way of putting it, focusing on the the future. You know, I think you and I have discussed this. I think that's one of the ways that we can be the most impactful when sharing the importance of financial education, financial fitness 
with mm-hmm. the younger generation because I, you could not tell me anything in my 20s. I don't I don't care. This this language around 401ks, this language around no, it's not smart to buy a thousand dollars trainers. I'm sorry, saying trainers now. Um, like you couldn't tell me that when I was in my early 20s because I felt I had and in independence, I felt like I was bringing in my own money. I felt like this is something I have the ability to control. So your language around, you know, putting a certain amount of away or, you know, giving putting money towards a four hundred one k that my company was matching. Like, what is matching? I don't care. What is this? Yeah, yeah. It didn't. It didn't matter. But the best way that I think we can appeal to, or at least, and I'm trying to appeal to this younger generation is around the importance of being financially fit is to talk to them about the future, to talk mm-hmm. to them about this, this preparation for that time to, to yep, tell yep. them you think you, <laughs> I feel like your story is what I'm going to steal. You think that this purchase is going to be relevant. It's going to matter. It's going to stand the test of time is going to help you. But in reality, you will regret it. And, um, you, you think it's not impacting you now, but it, it, it genuinely will impact you in, in the very near present and down the line in the future. Um, yeah, that's that's what your story just really brought out to me. Like, how yeah. can I better convince, you know, be convincing to this this generation? Yeah. Um, and you have hit the nail on the head, and that's what I try and do now. And that's why my slogan is what it is. You have to, and I'm going to steal this, I'm going to steal this first part from Tyro, because this is what he says. He says, you have to meet people where they're at. For me, it's all about speaking to the future. Money is a tool, life's living. What do you want? What do you want in three months' time, in five years' time, in 10 years' time, if you can look that far ahead? What do you want your life to be? That's aspirational. That's sexy. Everybody likes to be aspirational, think futuristically about what they want, the lifestyle they want. Okay, so you're going to work right now earning cash. The cash that you earn right now can help you make that a reality if you use it wisely. But you've got to meet them where they're at. And that's the most important thing. You know, financial services and the way we talk about money, it will change because it has to change because of the times that we're in, social media. Um, Instagram is a highlight reel of all the sexy things and the cars, the Rolexes and the great holidays, right? That is so much more in the face of, you know, 20 odd year olds now, early 30 year olds old now that... You know, I'm 41. I can't even begin to think how difficult it would be to live in a social media world where this is the stuff that you're growing up seeing. There are advantages to it because technology is is rife now and there are so many opportunities online. You know, the younger generation are now earning more money than I ever did when I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, they're killing it. So let's meet them where they're at. Let's talk about the future. Let's make it aspirational. Let's make it sexy. Let's make it something that they, they're like, yeah. I like I like the sound of that. I think you just did with decisions. the language. I think you did. With, I think you just did with the language that you used because, in many ways, um, I did, and I believe this generation is feeling the same way as well. Um, I, I looked at saving or being smart or budgeting as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I looked at it as I'm, oh, I have to sacrifice. I have to sacrifice. Like I don't want to. I'm young. I'm alive. I'm vibrant. Mm-hmm. Like I'm out here, let's go. I finally have money to, mm-hmm. to, to do what I want with. And you telling me 
that I need to budget or to save or to put some of that away or to not spend frivolously makes me feel like it's a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Who wants to sacrifice? The same thing with dieting. Who wants to sacrifice? Like not being able to do what they want. But if you use language like what you just use around aspirations, what do you, what do you aspire to? Don't look at it so much as I'm sacrificing the now, but look at it as I'm aspiring for X. Then that kind of, that would give me so much more confidence is not the right word that would give me so much more like peace mm -hmm. about the decision that I'm making that money that I'm putting aside that savings that I'm seeing grow I'm seeing my 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 goal my objective getting closer and closer to it mm -hmm. versus you're this is pulling away from me I'm sacrificing you know yeah. I think you just did it in a language that you, you just said Thank you. Well, listen, this has been a fire conversation. Um, I love having you on. And I knew that you were going to be great when we spoke like last week. And I got again, I've got to thank Polina because she was like, you need to speak to Tiana. She's going to be awesome and stuff. And you, you amazing job. How can people get in contact with you? What have you got going on at the moment? Ah, love it. First of all, Paulina, she's fire. Hard eyes all the way through uh, for her. Um, the way that folks can connect with me, um, I honestly, especially if you're someone in the professional world, would love for you to connect with Built by Girls because we definitely need support and um, you know professional guidance wherever we can get it for our students. So check us out at Built by Girls on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and then also just builtbygirls.com. And then me personally, I'm on the Instagrams at Tiana Wanders. That's where you can find me. And of course on LinkedIn, uh, but definitely check out Built by Girls if you can. Fantastic. Listen, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story. Um, yeah, this, this is a great conversation. I want to do more of these on the podcast because feedback that I got last year was when I have normal people on, it's <laughs> people like to hear how, other people have navigated these kind of journeys that makes people feel as though they're not alone and we're never really alone in anything at all. We just don't realize that other people are going through it. So Agreed. I really do appreciate your input. Thank you so much for being here. Guys, guys, this has been an amazing episode. Um, listen, there'll be more of, of these kind of episodes coming. I want to say that again, thank you to Tiana for, for rocking up and having this conversation with me. Um, look, if you want to hear more of this, or if you're listening to this and you're a woman or you're a guy, you want to comment to the show, make sure you reach out to me. I'm on Instagram. Many of you do talk to me on Instagram, actually. So don't be shy. If you've got a story to share, you want to get your, your, your point of view across, this will be the time to do it. I'm actually dedicating maybe three months, which will be about 12 episodes, roughly, to having guests on specifically through the summer of this year. So it doesn't matter whether you're... Uh, uh, doing big things or doing small things. All of that is objective and it's relative, right? I don't really care. If you've got a story, please reach out and let's have a conversation and inspire and empower other people because this is what this is all about at the end of the day. But as always, remember, money is a tool, life is for living. Have an amazing week. I will catch you next Monday.